We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone. I am Josh Nelson, and welcome to a special collaboration podcast pairing two Blue Wire podcasts together, the Bronx Pinstripe Show and Sox Machine, to preview the Field of Dreams game on Thursday, August 12, 2021, between the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox. Major League Baseball couldn't ask for a better matchup as they have two American League contenders squaring off in a game that features possibly the American League Cy Young frontrunner and many sluggers that are going to be on the field. Helping me preview the event and game from Bronx Pinstripes, it's Andrew Rotondi. And Andrew, what's up, man? You didn't even practice the last name beforehand and you nailed it. So nice job on that. Thanks for having me on. You know, it cuts deep when you say possibly the American League Cy Young, that being Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn, a guy the Yankees had very briefly before he decided to turn into the second coming of Roger Clemens. (laughs) Well, we're loving it on the South Side. And speaking of the South Side from Sox Machine, it's Jim Margulis, which you could follow at Sox Machine, and you could follow Bronx Pinstripes on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes, and follow Andrew at Andrew underscore Rotondi. And Jim, are you ready for the first Major League Baseball game ever played in the state of Iowa? More or less. It's just kind of a day on the calendar to me. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to get excited about it. I think I might get more excited about it once I actually see it for myself, but so far... I would say the marketing isn't quite sucking me in yet. All right, so we're off to a great start. Come on, guys, you're you're not you're not you're not getting like all the all the uh, nostalgic feels. Like, are you guys fans of the movie? If, I guess if you're not a fan of the movie, it might be kind of, you know, who cares what's going on here? I I wonder how a 12 year old or a 15 year old feels about this game. That's a good question. For me, I, I enjoy the movie uh, as someone uh, that lost their father at a very early age. The very last part of the movie, spoiler alert, 
uh, gets me almost every single time uh, when it's on MLB Can Network. You spoil a thirty-year-old movie? <laughs> I you still got to. I mean, I, I keep running into people that are like, "I've never seen the movie. <laughs> Should I see the movie before the game?" And I don't want to ruin the ending for them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know that it's necessary to see the movie before the game. <laughs> although, <laughs> although I think uh, Kevin Costner is going to be there. So you might just be confused why Kevin Costner is there if you don't see the movie beforehand. Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I'm a fan of the movie. I'm not a fan. Like, it's not an accurate, you know, when you have Shoeless Joe Jackson from New Jersey batting righty rather than South Carolina batting lefty. It's just like, you know you kind of have to draw a line there and say like, am I treating this as like an authentic baseball movie or is am I treating it like a story that's using baseball as a vehicle to kind of tell the arc of these characters. And I look at more at like that way. So, you know, it's a good movie. Like the performances are good. I like that. Um, you know, it was one of the rare movies. I remember like watching it and rewatching in the nineties where the lead uh, female character, Annie Kinsella, Amy Madigan's character is like, helping propel the story. She's not like somebody who gets in the way. She's not somebody to overcome. She's not a doubter of the main character. She's involved. She's a big reason why the plot can happen. The same thing with the daughter. Like the, the female characters in the movie are like actually involved and uh, supporting what's going on and driving it. Timothy Busfield's character is the one who's kind of a, a wet blanket on the whole proceeding. So I thought that was cool. Um, I would say the one thing that bothers me in watching it is when you have the extras coming out of the cornfield, not just the White Sox, but the players they roped in, they're talking about all these guys, uh, you know, they're, they're pointing out who's coming back, and they say Gil Hodges, but they don't say, like, Josh Gibson, Oscar Charleston. Like, while Terrence Mann uh, is talking about, like, how baseball is great and ties the years together and generations and how it heals America. Like they have no representation of the players who were banned uh, from playing until 1947. So it seems like if they just rewrote that part or remastered it like Star Wars style to where you just have like some Negro Leagues players coming out of the corn and joining them, I think you kind of get that ideal version of what baseball is. But without that, kind of that's the one thing that I think sticks out and bothers me and kind of stops me from completely enjoying the movie. I think you, you, you certainly make some a lot of valid points there. I think as diehard baseball fans, which the three of us are, that we we have that take on the movie, which we probably have on a lot of different movies. I think the classic example of that is people get mad at the movie Moneyball because Barry Zito, Tim Hudson, and Mark Mulder were never mentioned. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that's the reason the Oakland A's won 100 games, not because Scott Hatterberg had a hot April. So I just think that it's, uh, you know, certain for, for Hollywood, for movie purposes, sometimes they have to do that sort of thing. But yeah, your points are all uh, heard loud and clear. So the event itself, right now, if you go to StubHub as we are recording this, the cheapest ticket I could find is $975 per seat. If you want to sit behind home plate, it's $2,200 per seat behind home plate. And I also looked this up because the Field of Dreams is at Dyersville, Iowa. The median household income is $61,400. So you do some household math and if it's, you know, your mortgage or your rent is 25% of your household income, 
this game for local residents is the cost of a month's mortgage, uh, which seems a bit insane for one regular season baseball game, not a postseason game. Now, it is special that it's the first Major League Baseball game in Iowa. But, Andrew, I, I know Yankees fans are willing to put up some money, uh, especially when it comes to postseason tickets. But is the event too expensive for fans to attend to have this be an annual thing? Oh, well, to have it be an annual thing, that's that's a different question. I, I, I've seen baseball, Major League Baseball getting critiqued for the fact that ticket prices are out of control. And I guess the only thing they could do in that case is not allow for third-party tickets like StubHub or whatever to purchase tickets and that they would only make them direct direct to you know individuals with maybe four being the limit that you can purchase or something like that and then you could cap it at 300 or 400 because it is still in demand there's only seven or eight thousand seats so it's a supply and demand thing but uh, so are you do you guys think baseball should have done that like to make this game more accessible to the fans in that in those in that area that would be mo- most likely to go to the game I'm I'm not sure. Like I'm, I'm the, the the game that comes to mind when it comes to like the closest parallel I can think of recently was the game at Fort Bragg, uh, where they had you know only I'm trying to think of the capacity. It was like under ten thousand. I think that could show up, but that wasn't a military base, so you could limit the capacity to people who could actually get into the base, and so you didn't have to worry about scalper selling to Marlins man or whoever to try to get in like they well Marlins man will most definitely be there yeah I can guarantee you that yep so it, it was you know that kind of situation where you like when you have an open stadium in public in a town where you know anybody can show up I, I don't know what you can do and I feel bad for you know I guess locals because Iowa is already a place where you can't watch most ball games like I think they're blacked out of five or six teams, I think, like just any neighboring state that they, uh, a, a team in a neighboring state they might want to watch, they can't do it on MLB TV. They have to hope that their uh, you know, cable provider, satellite provider has the channels. So it strikes me as a little bit odd or maybe tone deaf to market a game in Iowa, which is already a hotbed and has been for years. Like the, uh, I, I guess the you know, ground zero of the whole blackout arguments and, and, and for fans who rail against uh, local blackouts, just you can't watch, you know, five or six teams in Iowa. And if that, if this game comes and goes without that being addressed somehow, whether it's by Rob Manfred or, you know, local reporters asking about it, it feels like a missed opportunity, but also just feels like, uh, you know, Iowa's never going to get attention for that. I didn't think about it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm looking at a map now of Iowa is it's, Probably the so it's the Cubs, the White Sox, the Brewers, the Twins, the Cardinals, and the Royals. Am I missing mm-hmm. one? I think that's it. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Good luck with MLB TV in that market. For the game itself, looking at the state of the New York Yankees entering the series, the Yankees are sixty-three and fifty-one on the season. In their last ten games, they are seven and three. And within two games of the wild card, and they're about six to seven games back of Tampa Bay for first place in the American League East. Uh, though the Boston Red Sox helped out the Yankees there as they crushed the Rays late Wednesday night. For the season series against the White Sox, the Yankees swept the White Sox at home at Yankee Stadium from May 21st through the 23rd. Andrew, what's the state of the New York Yankees coming into the Field of Dreams game? 
You know, it's fun. It's been one of the weirder seasons uh, that I can remember with the Yankees. And you guys actually caught the Yankees back in May at one of the few times that they were actually playing well because they were terrible in April. They had a good month of May. And then June and most of July was also terrible. And I think a lot of fans had pretty much conceded the fact that this team is not going to win a championship, certainly, and perhaps not even make the playoffs. But the last three weeks have really changed the opinion of a lot of people. And it's started with the deadline acquisitions of Rizzo and Gallo and a couple of, of arms uh, in the bullpen and in the rotation. But they've been decimated the last few weeks with not just injuries, but also COVID. Um, they've had uh, Cole and Montgomery are both on the COVID list. And Domingo Herman is also out with a shoulder issue. So that's three fifths of their rotation is out. Anthony Rizzo, who had been like their best player since they acquired him. He had, I think the, he was the first Yankee, I believe in history to have six RBIs or an RBI in his first six games. He's on the COVID list. Um, Gary Sanchez is on the COVID list. They started the second half of the season. Aaron judge was on the COVID list and the ironic thing is the Yankees were one of the first teams in baseball to reach the 85% vaccinated threshold. Um, they got the J and J vaccine and that's clearly not been a good decision on their part. It just, uh, they've been exposed and a lot of people have had breakthrough tests, whether they're actually positive tests or false positive tests. The bottom line is they've missed times for missed games for COVID. Uh, but they keep, seem to keep winning through it the last few weeks. Um, I think the schedule got soft at the right time. They had a stretch after the all-star break where they played 13 of their first 15 games were against either Tampa or Boston. And then they got into a really soft stretch where they played Baltimore and Miami and Seattle. And then they just finished up a three game series with Kansas city. And now they're going to be playing the white Sox, who are obviously a good team. So they had a nice little, four series, five series week uh, uh, of weak opponents while the uh, injuries in the COVID list was really getting full. How frustrating has that been as far as just for you covering the Yankees and for Yankees fans with the COVID issue? Yes. Yeah, so how, how many, how many um, have any really key players been out on the COVID list for, for you guys? No, there have been just a couple cases where they had exposure, so they had to step away for a game or two, but no okay. cases that have cost them days. It's um, it's a weird thing, right? Because it, I kind of lump it with injuries. Um, how mad can you really get at injuries? Uh, if a player, if you, if a player gets injured, um, can you get mad? And then it's like, okay, well, what's the injury? Did they get hit on the hand with a fastball? Well, that's obviously a fluke and they can't control that. And that sucks. And he's going to be out. Or is it, did they pull a hamstring because they just seem to not be, you know, in the right shape? Or did a guy have like one of these, you know, we've heard about these funny injuries over the course of the year. Like I remember, um, the, the Joel Zamaya, didn't he, didn't he get like carpal tunnel playing guitar hero mm -hmm. or something or, or like, um, Clay Buckholtz, I think, said that he picked up his newborn weird and he like hurt his wrist. Mm -hmm. So so it's like all these like like I think if it's a funky injury like that or the Yankees, I think were it was pretty well known throughout throughout, you know, fans across the league in 2019. They had an obscene amount of injuries 
And a lot of them seem to be soft tissue injuries where it just doesn't seem like they're doing the right training regimen. I mean, you look at them, they look like they're like going to be lining up on an offensive line. Aaron Judge is 6'7", John Carl Stanton 6'6", Luke Voigt is, you know, 6'5", and 260, 250 pounds, whatever the hell he is. It's like, these guys are huge. Is bench pressing, you know, a new record every day really the the way to sustain your body for 162 games? So I think getting back to your question of how are we, you know, how we look at these guys dropping to the COVID list, on the one hand, it's like, well, what can they do? They did get vaccinated. The J&J vaccine was available and was approved and plenty of people out there got it. And the Yankees chose to get the J&J vaccine and it hasn't worked. Or you can say, well, they've been careless, irresponsible. Maybe they're not taking the right precautions. Hasn't happened. We have not found out that they were doing anything inappropriate and maybe got COVID by going to a crowded bar or a strip club or anything like that. Um, so I think it's I, me personally, I look at these COVID things as like, I can't believe and more guys are going down, but I kind of lump it in the fluke injury kind of thing where, yeah, you can be frustrated, but you can only, you can only be so upset about it before you just have to say, all right, let's, let's see what the next guy who's called up is going to do. I was thinking of the, you're describing different injuries and I was thinking it's almost like the difference between breaking a finger getting hit by a pitch and breaking a finger, like diving headfirst into first base. One is bad luck. Another one is a bad decision. And and maybe Anthony Rizzo, he was, yeah, yeah, the Cubs are one of the teams that's not going to get to the threshold. And Anthony Rizzo was one of the team leader who did not get vaccinated and said he wanted to see more data. And I was curious when the deadline approached, like what a team take him on if a team adds him and they're like right on the cusp of 85%, does he drop them below? Like, I, I just wonder like with teams uh, trying to do the math on this, does a, adding a guy from the outside who's not vaccinated hurt them? So that's what I was kind of curious about with Rizzo, but so far it just seems uh, that the Yankees have had such problems elsewhere that almost like Rizzo is just another drop in the bucket. Yeah. And because Rizzo is not vaccinated and the amount of guys that he's obviously sharing a clubhouse with who did test positive, it's, it's not, I mean, it's pretty understandable how he tested positive. Mm -hmm. Um, I, to be honest, I didn't know Rizzo did not get the vaccine until after the Yankees traded for him. Uh, I was, I just missed that story back in May. I think ESPN wrote the article back in May, um, when Rizzo made his decision. I said this, uh, on our last podcast when we talked about Rizzo, I'm not going to get on someone for making a personal decision. You know, I, I'm vaccinated and I chose to get vaccinated and you know, my, my wife is vaccinated and you know, all that sort of thing. If Rizzo decides for him, I know he's a cancer survivor. If he decides for him and he doesn't want to get vaccinated, that's his personal choice. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be one of these assholes on Twitter who decides to get all, you know, turn this into something that we don't want to talk about, which is, you know, get political and like start attacking the guy. Like it sucks that he got COVID. Hopefully he gets better soon. For the Chicago White Sox, they entered the game 67 and 48 as they lost two out of three against the Minnesota Twins. In their last 10 games, they are six and four. And despite losing two out of three against the Twins, they lose no ground Against Cleveland for first place in the American League Central, they still have a 10.5 game lead in the Central. Jim, what's the state of the Chicago White Sox coming into the Field of Dreams game? 
Well, you know, I was hoping that they would use this stretch of six games against the Cubs and the Twins as a kind of you know, runway towards getting their offense back with Eloy Jimenez back and Luis Roberts uh, in the lineup now and having that kind of disappointing series against Kansas City and, and Cleveland before that. This would be the stretch of you know, having a lineup that scores six-plus runs before they get into that stretch where they play the Yankees, then the A's and Rays and Blue Jays. Uh, just it's a stretch of tough games and they didn't quite use the twins series like I thought they would. And, you know, to their credit, they, I, I, or I guess, you know, in, in defense of them, they kind of use it in a different way. Like Tony La Russa used uh, Wednesday as a true getaway day with Anderson and Moncada sitting uh, and, and Robert sitting because he's going to be in and out of the lineup as he gets back from his hip injury. But uh, yeah, it just, yeah, they're, they're going into a tough stretch of the schedule without still looking like they're fully operational. And, and maybe that's the way it is. But when you have a nine and a half game lead, at the very least, who knows, like the, the Cleveland can't gain, like they're physically prevented from gaining ground on the White Sox this month. They have not, uh, you know, the White Sox have lost three games. They did not gain a gain in any of those days where the White Sox presented an opportunity. It's <laughs> just uh, the White Sox luck right now. So perhaps they're uh, maybe a bit lucky in, in terms of not feeling pressure, but while they are have, while they do have this fortune, it seems like it makes sense to rest some guys, try not to push it, and then you know should uh, Cleveland start biting into their cushion a little bit, then maybe there will be some urgency. Yeah, do you think they're in cruise control, the the White Sox? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, just because there are enough guys getting healthy and and trying to get back in the lineup and trying to establish their seasons that I don't think uh, they've been. Uh, around enough as a team. Also, there are guys like Brian Goodwin and Jake Lamb who are just trying to be regulars and, and try not to... They, they have to make themselves uh, necessary. Like, they're on the cusp of always being uh, booted off a team and, and having to, to hang on somewhere else. So they, they have a nice mix of, you know, proven veterans who are going nowhere, uh, players who are coming off injuries and want to get themselves into rhythm. And then they've had, like, this just rotation of heroes coming onto the bench and delivering a hot week at a time. And then, you know, afterwards just trying to hang in there. So I don't think it's like a team-wide uh, complacency setting. in. I think it's just a, a mix of things where uh, they're not quite, you know, whether it's, you know, some guys getting ground down, some guys not quite up to speed. Uh, just it's a mix that's not quite working for them right now. Jim, with it being another national broadcast for the Chicago White Sox, are you ready again sometime between the third and sixth inning? of the Fox broadcast rehashing the Tony La Russa and Yuma Mercedes spat from May. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I guess the one thing is La Russa won't be there. He'll be at a, uh, a funeral service for his uh, sister's husband. Um, so, you know, perhaps that's one thing that'll, you know, him, him not being there, there, nobody for the Fox cameras to focus on in between pitches while they're talking about him. Perhaps that'll, diminish it but yeah i am at the very least looking forward to like an oversimplification of larusa's season with the white Sox and him saying like oh all the mistakes he thought he made were really just strokes of genius that we're now realizing versus uh here's a guy who's away from this game for nine years and is getting to know a new team and is having some stumbles uh figuring out his own strategy how it fits into the game in 2021 and, you know, halfway in the season, now it seems like he's back up to speed. So you think so? Uh, for are some you guys, reason, they're, are you that? guys happy? You think so? You guys happy? Because I thought it was going to be a disaster. I mean, especially after the Mercedes thing. 
I didn't think he was going to last the season, but the team obviously kept winning mm-hmm. and winning cures all as we've found in every sport. Your, your, your team wins, your player performs. You can overlook a lot of things. Um, so you think he's actually turned into what this team needs? I think so. I, I think uh, he's somebody who doesn't mind conflict. Like you, when you look at his Cardinals days with Scott Rowland and JD Drew and Colby Rasmus, he wasn't afraid to butt heads with players, even good ones. Uh, just if he wanted to prove a point or felt like they could do better or whatever thing he had in his craw, like he just, he didn't mind uh, rubbing a player wrong way. And it didn't seem to affect him on the field. And I think we're seeing the same thing with the White Sox, like Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu, are the leaders of the clubhouse. The players respond to them. And then I think they respond to, uh, I guess, how Anderson and Abreu respond to La Russa. And Abreu's been a dutiful, um, you know, I guess veteran, you know, basically saying like, you know, whatever Tony wants is fine. Anderson's somebody who will be like more like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> I mean, not in a way that it, it uh, affects the effort, but just, you know, if he thinks that, uh, you know, LaRusse is going to be upset about a bat flip or um, a quote in the media. Like he's not going to care. So I think uh, they're allowed to be themselves. Lance Lynn had a back and forth with LaRusse where, uh, you know, Lynn defended Mercedes and LaRusse said that he didn't care that Lynn defended Mercedes. And they've all more or less uh, been allowed to express themselves without punishment. So I think that's in the aftermath of the Mercedes thing. That's, I think, what allowed things to calm down is, is a good clubhouse hierarchy and then Larusa giving them leeway to at least express themselves in dissatisfaction without affecting anything. And uh, as the season's gone on, you know, with Andrew Vaughn, the way he uh, basically slow rolled him into the lineup, introducing him versus lefties first, then adding righties uh, at bats against righties to put him in a position to succeed. Same thing with Michael Kopech, you know, increasing his workload as the season went on. He's now doing the same thing with Reynaldo Lopez. I think he's got the good idea of the big picture of a season and how to rest guys, how to not ask too much of players who are role players and uh, Larry Garcia side, I should say. But I think the, the 162 game La Russa, you know, that he's known for 34 seasons now, I think that's, that's where he's proving his value. Josh, you are right, though, in the sense that anytime we get these national broadcasts, they always go, they always do the high level stories. What were what were the headlines for each of these teams that we as fans of that team are probably so sick of, which I know I can tell you guys are of the La Russa Mercedes storyline. My next question to both of you is that how do we feel about these two teams possibly crossing paths again? In the postseason, I remember when we were talking about the White Sox Yankee series in May at Yankee Stadium. I had a feeling that it could be a preview of the American League Championship Series. So I'll start with you, Andrew. How do you feel about the idea that these two teams could cross paths again in the postseason? Well, I, I, I guess if this, if what, if the, if we, if the postseason shakes out like it is developing where the Yankees would get a wild card spot and the White Sox would get the number two seed in the, uh, in the American league, then it would have to be in the American league championship series. It would be hard to have it in the American league division series. I'm still a little skeptical on this Yankees team 
actually making it through a couple rounds of the playoffs. They've been playing much better, which is great. And they're, they look to be getting healthier with their COVID list guys coming back. And also with uh, some of the other injury guys, like we didn't even talk about before, but Luis Severino recovering from Tommy John surgery, Corey Kluber, who actually looked like he was turning back into a, at least 70% of what Corey Kluber could, could be. Uh, goes it pitches a no hitter and then he gets he goes on the shelf. So one of those guys maybe can come back and contribute. And then you add back obviously Garrett Cole, Jamison Tyon has been pitching better, and the rotation looks like you can sort of see how a playoff rotation could form from those guys. But the team still makes many 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 errors. They made a, a ton of errors in Kansas City and they got away with them. Um, so defense, I think, is a, is a big issue. Their base running has been better, which is great. They were one of the worst base running, if not the worst base running teams in the majors in the first half of baseball. That seems to be improving. But um, I still need to see more from the Yankees before I can say they can win a playoff series. Because they're going to have to win a playoff series most likely with Garrett Cole only pitching one of the five games in the ALDS. Because he's going to have to pitch the wild card game. And that means you got to get those other four starters. You got to get something from them. And it's been a coin flip uh, for the past Yankees in the playoffs the last few years. We are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up, we'll preview the field of dreams game, pitching matchup and our picks to click. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the show as we have Andrew Rotondi from Bronx Pinstripes and Jim Margulis from Sox Machine helping preview the Field of Dreams game between the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox. You're pitching probable for this game is going to be left-hander Andrew Heaney for the New York Yankees, which they just acquired from the Los Angeles Angels against Lance Lynn for the White Sox. Heaney has started 20 games in 2021, two with the Yankees. Uh, the ERA was not that impressive before he joined the Yankees. He has a 5.45 ERA for the season with 126 strikeouts and 104 innings pitched. And as far as his time with the Yankees, Andrew, for Andrew Heaney, what has the experience been like? Because it's just been two starts, but he's given up five home runs in those two starts. Heaney was like two and a half feet away from never stepping on a Yankees mound again. 
He, in the second inning of his last start against Seattle, Mitch Hanniger missed a grand slam by about two and a half feet. And that would have made the score, I believe at the time, six to one. They would have pulled him. And I don't think he would have started another game. And the funny thing is he actually, it was just a sack fly. He got the next guy. And then he only gave up like two more base runners through the next four innings. And so he kind of redeemed himself and gave the Yankees a chance to come back, which they did. So um, the Andrew Heaney experience has been uh, just that. Not great, but also maybe something to look forward to. When Brian Cashman made the trade, it was one of those trades, again, just a flurry of activity right before the trade deadline. What do you think the thought process was for the Yankees adding Haney to the rotation? Well, reports say they talked to the Twins about Berrios and the price for him was too high for them. I think they probably kicked the can on Scherzer. They probably were, you know, shopping around for some other guys. And Heaney was a cheap option depth piece for them that they figured let's take a flyer on. I think uh, some of the underlying metrics on him, I know his, uh, his whiff rate has been pretty good this year, uh, even though his ERA is terrible. Um, And I think the Yankees like to identify those undervalued, guys whether they're offense or or pitching they like to find those undervalued guys and and buy cheap buy them cheaply and and see if they can get something for uh, get something out of them it's worked for them in the past do you think it will work this time around with andrini i mean he's a free agent at the end of the year so if he gives you another five or six or seven starts and is decent. I think that's, that's fine. Especially because like I said earlier in the show, three fifths of their rotation is missing. I don't expect, let's put it this way. If, if Andrew Heaney starts a playoff game for the Yankees, they're in trouble. All right. Well, moving over to the White Sox, Lance Lynn will be on the mound. And for betting folks who are listening, he's currently the leader for the American league Cy Young, according to the odds makers ahead of his teammate Carlos Rodon and Yankees ace Garrett Cole. Lynn has a 4.3 war, according to baseball reference, as he carries a 2.04 ERA and 114 two-thirds innings pitched with 130 strikeouts to just 35 walks. In his last seven starts, spanning 39 innings, Lynn has only allowed eight earned runs. And in six of those seven starts, he has allowed one earned run or fewer. So, Jim, Lance Lynn is pitching like the ace the White Sox thought they were acquiring this past offseason. How do you think he'll match up against the New York Yankees? Well, you know, it is a stage for him. And when you saw the, the photos of the White Sox in the 1919 uniforms, he looked like the probably the guy who most fit them, just in terms of <laughs> yeah. uh, general condition, uh, disposition, just everything. He kind of looked like somebody who you know, rolled off a, a company town team and got picked up for, uh, you know, $150 to uh, pitch for a month for them. Uh, so I quickly, do you want to know what, um, what my nickname for him when he was on the Yankees was for the, on the show, we used to call him hot dog Lance Lynn because it looked like he smells like hot dogs. Yeah. I can kind of see that. Uh, he cleans up well though. <laughs> That's the funny thing. Like he's got a lot of looks, uh, but when it comes to just his, I guess, um, you know, where he is, I think it would be great to see him do what he's been doing, not just because it benefits the White Sox, but also with Carlos Rodon going on the injured list, um, you know, with, with shoulder fatigue. And right now it's hard to know whether it's just 
prescribed rest because he's somebody who, you know, if he has to pitch into October, will set a career high in innings with the pace he was on, or whether it's something he's had shoulder injuries in two different seasons. So it could be something that hampers him for the rest of the season. If Rodon's not in the, the picture or, or can't be counted upon to be in the picture for the next two months, then Lynn has to keep doing what he's doing. So this would be as fine a time as I need to start and, you know, national uh, stage and, you know, the, the uniforms, the, the all eyes, or at least a lot of eyes on this game, it would be, uh, I think, something uh, for him to turn in the kind of start he's been turning in, having the post third out cursing sessions he's been having on the way to the uh, dugout. That's a delight for lip readers uh, and, and might force Fox cameras to switch off him, depending on what words he's saying. <laughs> and uh, hopefully it'd be something where he can continue to bolster those Cy Young credentials. Would not be smart to put a microphone on Lance Lynn uh, during this start and uh, get that live audio like they it did for Liam Hendricks. Yeah. Sure. Worked is a, you know, unique definition for those uh, in media. It was very entertaining for us. I'm sure the FCC did not enjoy uh, the F-bombs that Liam Hendricks was dropping during the All-Star game. Uh, Andrew, for the Yankees bullpen, who's got the hot hand right now that's not on the injured list? (laughs) Um, Damn, I was going to say Clay Holmes and he just got COVID. So, so... um, (laughs) So, so right now they've got, they've got uh, Chapman who's on the injured list, not from COVID just on the injured list. And um, uh, Jonathan Loisaga has stepped in a lot for him at, as at the closer role. And Loisaga has been probably their breakout relief pitcher this year. He's had a couple of moments where he's he, like one game. Um, the Yankees, uh, it was after the all-star break. Um, it was at Fenway Park. Domingo Herman had taken a no hitter into the eighth inning, and the Yankees had, I believe, it was a four nothing lead, and they proceeded to give up five runs in the eighth inning. And Loizaga didn't get an out in that inning, um, and that's really like one of two or three disastrous moments. Otherwise, he's been lights out this season. He's got really electric, electric stuff. He can touch like 97, 98 with a moving fastball. So. Um, I, I say his nickname is Johnny Lasagna. Johnny Lasagna is the bullpen guy to look for. And Jim, there's going to be a lot of discussion during the broadcast about the White Sox acquiring Craig Kimbrell. From a Chicago perspective, it's great to have two closers in your bullpen with Kimbrell and Hendricks, but you got to get them to lead. Uh, if this is a tight game in the mid middle of the innings and Lance Lynn gets off the mound, for Yankees fans or non-White Sox fans that are going to be watching the game, who do you think is going to be the first guy out of the bullpen for the White Sox? Well, if it's a typical Lance Lynn start and he gets into the second half of the game, whether it's you know the sixth or the seventh inning, I think you know Kopech hasn't been used in a few games. Uh, I think he's a name that most baseball fans would recognize. Uh, you know, maybe they're not exactly up to date on what he's been doing this year because you know he's new to relief and was injured for a bit, but. Uh, Given how fresh he is, they've used Crochet the last uh, you know, a couple of times in the past. They've used Ruiz uh, and Kimbrel's been, you know, I think they're, they're getting to know Kimbrel and Tapera, but I think Kopech's kind of fallen uh, a little bit off the radar or maybe just, you know, they want to give him a rest because he's also going through his first six month season. But either way, I think he's probably the guy, if it's a tie game or they're slightly behind, but within striking distance, I think he would be the one to get the ball first. 
And as far as the field dimensions, it's going to be 400 to dead center field, 335 down the line. So similar dimensions as guarantee rate field for the Chicago White Sox. So that'll be no different for them. Weather-wise, it is going to be hot in Dyersville tomorrow. The temperature is going to be a high of 86 degrees, but it will feel hotter than 90 degrees. They have had severe thunderstorms come through the area, much like we have seen in Chicago. Obviously, they got to come from somewhere. They'll be coming from Iowa. Uh, but it should be dry for Thursday night's game between the Yankees and the White Sox. And this is something that we always have to discuss, Andrew, is that Humidity and the way the ball flies out of the ballpark in Chicago plays a big role. And this seems to be a pretty smallish stadium at the Field of Dreams event. And it has me thinking, even though you've got Lance Lynn on the mound, and we know that Andrew Heaney's had a problem with home runs, if the hot weather is going to play a factor, and who knows, maybe they'll reintroduce a super bouncy ball, Offensively, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. Man. I feel like they did it for the all-star game. Right. So as offensively for the Yankees coming into this game, uh, are you hoping that this is going to be a slugfest in which the ball, we're going to see a lot of home runs? Oh, another thing that I think you have to account for as far as fly balls is the fact that it's not a stadium. It's a field. It's just a field with low stands. And so the wind is going to be a, a different factor than when you get, a, you get a high stadium with stands and swirling winds and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think we might see just balls flying out, especially if it's, if it's really humid. Kind of reminds me of, um, if you guys remember the London series, mm-hmm. where yeah, that mm-hmm. was a high stadium, but apparently just like it was the hottest weekend on record in London. And it, it ball, the ball was, just, it was like they were hitting a golf ball out of there. Yeah, Jim, how do you feel? Because, again, we just talked about how well Lance Lynn has pitched, but this is not a normal stadium for him. So should we not be expecting a normal performance from Lynn? Oh, he seems somebody who is just in his own headspace when he's on the mound, and I don't know if he exactly knows his surroundings just based on the kind of talking he does to himself. Uh, the one thing I was thinking of when you mentioned like single deck and, and the winds being more of a factor is you, when major leaguers or – minor leaguers getting their first taste of the majors. They talk about like being in a stadium with three decks for the first time. And just that being a different yeah. uh, factor on their adrenaline and nerves and butterflies. I wonder if it works in reverse where the Yankees have a whole bunch of guys coming from AAA to fill in the <laughs> roster. If they're going to be used to the single deck uh, experience and be like, Oh yeah, I was just in uh, Scranton Wilkes-Barre. I know what this is all about. This is fine. And, and the guys who are used to the, uh, you know, 40,000 seat stadiums are going to be the ones thrown off a little bit. Maybe that could be the X factor in the whole, in the whole thing. <laughs> what I am concerned about is the fence. They are using a chain link fence. Obviously injuries galore. Aaron judge is going to freaking rip a rib off it running into that wall. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're thinking, cause I was thinking Aloy Jimenez. If Aloy Jimenez is in the outfield, he's definitely going to be crashing into the wall. To me, this I get it that they're trying to make it look like that the the corn is the boundary behind you know beyond the wall, but there's they still have this fence. I line the fence with corn, like yeah. corn, like they do with ivy at Wrigley. Yeah. What about ple- uh, was it plexiglass? Oh, there you go. Yeah, something that's not chain link because that also has me a concern. Is that guys, you're gonna just run right into the fence and. Someone's going on the injured list. 
I got to Google a picture of this. I didn't realize it was chain link. And, and, and to make it worse, they painted it green. So it's like camouflaged into the field. So it's, it's going to be tough to see. And I, I think that's the, it's done on purpose for television because it'll make it look like the corn is the boundary when in reality there is a fence before the players run into the corn. And there's a part of the fence that will open up because the players are going to be introduced coming through uh, the cornfield and onto the field like it was in the movie. Right, right. I didn't actually realize that it was on the same property as the actual movie set field. Yes, it was supposed to look like old Comiskey Park, but they scrapped that idea. <laughs> I mean, it, it does look great. I mean, I do have to hand, like, give them credit. The pictures that we're seeing, it looks very cool. Yes. But th that's another thing I'm worried about. So Andrew made a good point. If the ball gets up in the air, there's no third deck to block the wind. So wind is going to play a huge factor. The fence is camouflaged into the field. And uh, I do like your point as well, Jim, especially for the younger players. They may be used to this where somebody like Lance Lynn, who's been a major league veteran for a while, it's going to be a weird feeling stepping out to the mound and only pitching in front of, uh, well, they didn't pitch in front of anyone last year, so that's nothing new, but having 9,000 fans in a, a single deck stadium. So we're going to see as far as uh, there's a lot of elements coming into this game that could impact on what the final outcome is. So let's wrap up as far as this preview and go with our picks to click players that we think from each side could have a big game and decide on who wins the first Field of Dreams game. And Andrew, I'll start with you. Who do you think for the Yankees could have a big game on Thursday? I'm going to go with DJ LeMahieu. And I have to uh, apologize a little bit to DJ, DJ LeMahieu because about seven or eight days ago, I did a podcast where I dissected everything that was going wrong with his season. And since then, I think he's hitting like 370. So the man is shutting me up. So I'm going to go with DJ LeMahieu to have a, a couple hits. I know that feeling when it comes to Jose Abreu, Andrew. So you are not alone. <laughs> uh, Jim, how about you? Who do you? Who is your pick to click? I'm hoping now that you're on LeMahieu's bandwagon that he'll cool off again and he'll just be there to spite you. I'm... I'm hoping Eloy Jimenez has a big game. This is his chance to charm America the way he has charmed White Sox fans. Uh, just, I want to see a high mom on camera, an excited, giddy, smiling Eloy. He's a gifted comedic actor. He's a gifted face actor. Like he, he uh, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to just his camera skills, when it comes to his ability to convey emotions without saying a word, he's got talent. And I'd like to see that talent show up with like, you know, a nice three hit game, uh, yeah, Homer into the corn, some, uh, some dugout mugging. I want to see that you just in front of the entire national media, the fans who have never really seen him play be great to see a big performance from him. Glaber Torres is still healthy, right? Or he's not on the COVID list. Nah, he, he, uh, he got, he's a thumb issue. He jammed his thumb sliding into second base the other day. So he's going to be out. Oh my gosh, this is, <laughs> this is terrible for the Yankees. The, Torres, Yankees have, the Yankees legitimately have uh, a very good starting lineup, either on COVID list or on the on the IL, because they've got Gio Urshela out, they've got Glaber out, like I said, Rizzo, Gary Sanchez, so you're almost building an all-star infield, and then and then uh, Garrett Cole can be the pitcher uh, for that for that injury team. 
And um, I guess they'll have to scrape by with some some random outfielders, but they, you get my point. Well, Torres had a big series the last time the Yankees and White Sox played in May. Uh, one player to watch for, Jose Abreu has three career home runs against Andrew Heaney uh, in his career. Uh, so that may be something to watch for if you are looking for someone uh, to hit a home run, Jose Bray could be a good bet. I, man, if if John Carl Stanton or Aaron Judge get a hold of one, I just want to see on how far it flies into the abyss of corn, uh, beyond the outfield wall. Uh, I think this is this could be a fun game between the Yankees and White Sox again. Major League Baseball really lucked out picking these two teams because they have a lot to play for still as we inch closer to the postseason. You could follow Bronx Pinstripes at Bronx Pinstripes, and you could follow the podcast on Twitter at Yankees Podcast, and follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Andrew, thank you so much, man, for hopping on and helping break down this game from a Yankees perspective. You're welcome, guys. I had a lot of fun, and uh, good luck in the game. Who knows? The White Sox and the Cubs might alternate every year doing the Field of Dreams game. So you guys might be doing this on every every other year previewing this thing. Well, suck it up, Jim, if that's the case. You better like this. <laughs> I'm hoping it's fun. I'm, I'm keeping an open mind. <laughs> and you can follow Jim at Sox Machine and visit SoxMachine.com. For all the coverage of the Chicago White Sox, you can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Both of our podcasts are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, which you can follow on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. And Andrew, Jim, this was fun. And like we've mentioned, I hope the Field of Dreams game is too. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash SoxMachine. If you enjoy our work and want more, go to patreon.com slash SoxMachine to sign up. Our Patreon supporters get an ad-free version of both the podcast and the website. They get exclusive content, and they get the first opportunity to buy any new SoxMachine swag like our new SoxMachine ball caps. We have monthly plans starting at just $2.00. So again, if you enjoy our work at SoxMachine.com, think about becoming a friend of the podcast and website at Patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.